can see I be thinking about my old life. All the things I used to be. Talking to my old friends, they like they ain't used to me. Told them I'm a Christian now, nothing like they used to see. Now they trying to figure out how the Lord is using me. I told them, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, oh teacher, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. New things have come. No wonder my boys is acting like they don't know where I'm from. I thank God for the favor I got for the blessings he gives, the abundance I live, but I deny myself, take my cross daily. Luke 9, 23, I'm a Christian, look at me. Justified is a gift by his grace. My faith is getting stronger. Pray I keep a steady pace. And I know without him, these battles I never win. Colossians chapter four, it's time to live again. Y'all ready to do this? Let's do this. Hey, my name is Rashad Cunningham. I am currently the pastor at Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, but I was introduced last week by Josh as the um, soon-to-be teaching pastor and community pastor here. Um, we'll get, amen, thank you, praise God, right? We'll get into that a little bit more coming up, but I, I get 30 minutes, and I'm used to like 50. So I'm, a, I'm, you know, I need my time. So let's just go into prayer and get into this, all right? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, uh, we just thank you once again. We've seen you work in the last two services. We're ready to get to work right here. Father, remove me so that they see and hear all of you and your word. Pierce the hearts that are not only just in this room, but those who are online as well. And push people to, to just be pierced to the soul so that they will repent and move into obedience to look more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. It is in his precious name we pray. Amen. Man. And so I'm closing out the It's Time to Live Again sermon series. You've been here for five weeks going through the book of Colossians, and I get tasked with uh, kind of closing this out and, and just kind of telling you what it means to actually live again according to this last chapter. Now, I started off a little different than the other sermons, but this one, it hit a little differently because did y'all hear it? My, my guy Jaden singing that Meet Me Here Again? Like, yeah. whoa, I like... Little man crush. I was like, whoa, Jaden, right? But I'm, <laughs> no, but look at this, look at this. There was something in the words that he was saying that just hit me differently this time around. It's, it's what is it? I'm, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? I, I got to ask you, do you believe that? Do you actually believe when you're singing those words? Are you just going through the routine of just singing and looking at the screen? Or do you, when you're saying those words, do you believe that you're not enough unless he comes? Do you believe that all that you want is all that he is? Because if that's so, then what Paul's asking us to do, these commandments he's given us in chapter 4 is going to hit a little differently. Because, because he opens up, he opens up in chapter 4, verse 2, and he says, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. I'm going to be walking us through some answers to the question of how do we actually live again? And my first point is we live in prayer. 
We live in prayer. Now, once again, going back to the song, it's a little bit different because that song hit me different. But it's a little bit different because when I say those words, when I'm singing those words, I don't want it to be this false worship where I I just want to look good in front of people and put my hands up. When I have my hands up over here in the corner, I was feeling that in the depth of my soul. I am actually not enough. I don't know how to stand on this stage in front of you and present God's word unless he meets me right here, right now. I'm not enough unless he comes. Everything I want is all that he is. And so Paul looks at me saying that and says, well, then devote yourself to being in his presence. Devote yourself to prayer. And that word devote, it's like a persistence. It's like be persistent in your prayer. Be continuous in your prayer. And, and, and prayer is not, I'm not saying that this is wrong, but prayer is not this, oh, matchless Master, whose majesty is on the mountaintops of the mercy building. Like, like, you don't, I'm not saying that's a bad prayer. I'm just saying that's not necessary because some people say, well, I would devote myself to more prayer if I knew how to pray. Father, I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? That's a prayer. That's an actual prayer. And you have to start asking yourself, what do you believe about the God you pray to? Because I got this saying, belief births behavior. You will behave based on what you believe. If you believe that this is God, that when you open up the Bible, it says in the beginning there was God. If you believe that the creator of the universe gives you free access to boldly approach the throne and talk to him and make your request be known, why would you not talk to him all the time? So if we're not, then we have to start asking ourselves, what do we actually believe about this this being we call God? Is he really all that we want? Is, is, Is he really, are we really not enough without him? So Paul says, be persistent in your prayer. My daughter, I have a 17 year old daughter named Genesis. And, and that's a whole nother sermon, right? 17-year-old daughter named Jen. But, but 10 years ago, when she was seven years old, she would come to her father with every question she had because she believed I knew everything. Dad, what's two times two? And I make it seem like I had to think real hard. I'm like, mm, that's a good one. Four, right? And she's like, oh, dad, you're awesome. Why is the, why is the sky blue? Because it is, right? Like, like, I was just like, everything she wanted to know, she came to me and was just asking, and she always wanted to communicate with me. She wanted to tell me about her day. She wanted, like, everything was about, I just want to talk to my father because he's the greatest. Ten years later, <laughs> she's like, um, I'm technically an adult in some countries, I'm only months away, right? And now it's less talking to the father and more talking to the friends. Less talking to the father and more talking to the Facebook, right? And so we, we mimic my daughter in our spiritual lives. I mean, think about this. When we, when we first came to faith, or maybe when we were younger, we actually believed he's got the whole world in his hand. Y'all supposed to join me. I can't sing now. Anyway, but look, look, we actually believe he has the whole world in his hands. But then something happens. Either we get puffed up in knowledge or we stop believing what we used to believe. And now he doesn't even have our marriage in his hands. He doesn't even have our finances in his hands. 
He doesn't have our circumstances and our situations in his hands. All of a sudden, God's hands that had the whole world in it when we first believed or when we were kids, when we had a childlike faith, all of a sudden those hands got real, real small. And we stopped talking to him. And we start talking to friends and Facebook and reality TV or whatever else we talk to that we get our advice, our counsel from instead of being persistent in prayer with the Father, the creator of the universe. So Paul says, be devoted in prayer. Be persistent in prayer. Live in prayer. But don't just be persistent. He says, he says keeping watch. Now, anybody ever like late at night, like, man, I'm going to pray before I go to bed. And then you wake up at 6 a.m. And all you got to was Father God. <laughs> huh? there's, there's one part of it. Like, be, be disciplined to actually be in the prayer. But another part of being present in prayer is this. Um, my mom... My mom used to play music on Saturday mornings, and I used to hate the music. It was 70s soul, but I hated it because when mama played music on Saturday morning, that means it was time to clean up. I mean, we had to clean all day. So, oh, man, she playing that music. It's time to clean, right? And so she played this song. Anybody know the OJs? Anybody familiar with the OJs in here? All right. So the OJs got this song that's called, Your Body's Here With Me, But Your Mind Is On The Other Side Of Town. Now, when I was nine years old, that didn't make any sense to me. That was stupid. That was the stupidest song ever, right? Like, how's your body one place, but your mind is somewhere else? That don't make no sense to me. How can your brain be over here, but your body be here? Then I grew up and got married, and I noticed one day my wife was talking to me, asking me something, but my mind was on the Michigan game. Any Michigan fans in here? All right, that's all right. Y'all got to deal with me. I'm a Michigan fan. But look at this. So, so she was talking to me. And my body's in the living room, but my mind is on the Michigan game. And, and we, you laugh, but that's how we treat God in prayer. We're not present, right? Prayer has become this ritualistic, religious routine instead of reverence and relationship. I say it because I'm obligated to say it, so you know I'm about to eat, say my prayer. When's the last time you stopped and was like, Father, thank you for the luxury to be able to eat. There's people all over the world who aren't gonna have lunch after church and I get to have lunch out? Like, thank you. Versus um, uh, God is good, God is great, thank you for the food we ate, right? This is not even right because you're about to eat it, ate, but whatever. So, so, so like, like we, we go through these routines and these rituals and this religious prayer instead of an actual reverence for God in a relationship with God to where we enter the throne room because we want to be there. Not because it's an obligation, but it's, it's, this, it's not law, it's love. I actually want to be in your presence. I want you to meet me where I am. I want to be in front of you. I want to be face to face because of who you are. Paul says pray with persistence. Pray with presence and then pray with praise. Anybody like anybody like ever went through the bank and they give like a sometimes they give a, a, a lollipop or like a little dum-dum, little dum-dum sucker, and then I see some hands shaking, and, and like you give it to your child and, and your child, you say, Hey, tell the banker thank you. And if they don't, they're like, I ain't saying thank you, like it's my sucker. And it's like, no, no, tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for what they've done. And so like we'll get on our kids, we teach our kids manners and say, if somebody does something for you, you give them thanks. Paul's sitting here in this in this verse and he's saying, not only with with, you know, uh, excuse me, not only with persistence, not only 
with, with a presence, but also with praise. Like, give him thanks. You think you woke up this morning because of your alarm clock? You really think your alarm clock woke you up? You don't think it's the one who's in control of life and death that gave you breath this morning, that woke you up this morning? You know how many people didn't wake up out the bed this morning? You know how many people didn't make it to church this morning? You know how many people... So, so when do you respond to that with praise for him? You need something to thank him for? You don't know how to pray? Start with this. I woke up. Thank you, Lord. I woke up. That means you're not done working in me, on me, and through me. Thank you, Lord, because I know somebody didn't wake up today. So Paul says, be you know, persistent, be, be present, and be praising in your prayer. But then he goes to the next verse. He goes to the next verse. We're still in that live-in prayer area. And he says, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been in prison. That way, I mean, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. So he's still in the area of prayer, but now he's making a prayer request and, and teaching us how to intercede for others. But I like this. There's something special about this right here. He's in prison. I know Josh talked about the context of, of Colossians over the last couple of weeks. He's writing this letter from prison. And instead of requesting from his loved ones to pray for the doors to be opened in his prison life, he's requesting for, from his loved ones for the doors to be opened in people's lives. Not the prison life that he's in, but people's lives. Not his earthly situation, but somebody else's eternal situation. Have you ever prayed like that? You know, they got the memes that say, if, you, if your prayers were to be answered, whose life changes? Who comes into the kingdom because of the prayers that you're lifting up? Or when you make requests, do you make requests for doors to be opened up for the word of God? Or is it all about you and your comfort here on earth? Are you worried about the earthly stuff or are you worried about the kingdom? Let me tell you something. I... Praise God that he's given me an opportunity to be a part of this family come, come 2021 and to be a pastor here to teach and be in a community. But here's the reality. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mercy Road, for giving me a title. It still doesn't mean that you in those seats and you online are going to give me access to your hearts. So this is what happens. In the same way that Paul says, will you open up a door for me to, to, to actually present the word of God to people, I'm asking that you can, you can live in prayer by doing this for me. Will you pray that God opens the doors to your hearts and your ears and even your lives to invite me and my family in so that we can do what we feel we're called here to do? You see that? Like, it's, it's, it's special. I don't care how comfortable I am out here. And, and I'm not from Carmel. I'm not that comfortable out here. Y'all a little different with these roundabouts and stuff, right? <laughs> Just saying. But, but I don't need for you to pray that we enjoy the roundabouts. I need for you to pray that doors are opened up in your hearts, in the hearts of those who watch online, in the hearts of the community, for me to walk through and do what I've been called to do for the kingdom of God. Yes. Amen. And, I, and I beg your prayers for that. So that people aren't just learning one thing on Sunday, but then don't see anybody for the rest of the week. I want to walk with you. I want, I want to walk alongside you. I want to come alongside you and be with you in this journey. But I need you to pray that you give me that access. I know I'm different. The dude came out here rapping to start off. Some of y'all, your first time meeting me. Like, he rap? Yeah, that's me. 
But if God does the work in your heart, you will receive me no matter our differences. And that's a, that's a prayer request right there. And so I want you to live in that type of prayer. I want you to live in prayer, not just for yourself, but for others and for each other that we at Mercy Road can actually get out of these walls and make changes in the areas that we work, the areas we live, the area, like anywhere that we're at, we should, be, we should be the kingdom presence, but we need prayer first to open up those doors. It all starts with prayer. Jesus looked at the disciples that he was going to send out, and he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Right? And so we, we, should, be lit, we should be basking ourselves in prayer. Like, if, if, um, when you want something done, you want to talk to the one in charge. Like, if you, if you go to lunch after this, and you order your steak, or you order whatever, you, or your Chick-fil-A or whatever, and, and, and you're like, I ordered three, three Chick-fil-A sauces. They gave me one. And you walk in, and, and the little guy, poor guy, he's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. Like, you're like, give me the person who's in charge that can do something then. Well, in a similar way, when we pray, we're talking to the one in charge who can do something. Why would you talk to anybody else? And because of what Jesus does, I mean, because of what Jesus did, you have free access to talk to him whenever you want why would you stop talking to him? I am literally, I'm, I am a spiritual bugaboo. I am always talking. Y'all know what a bugaboo is? It's somebody who gets on your last nerve. I am always. God, God, God. About everything. The big stuff and the little stuff. Because the Bible says cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I mean, for the teenagers in here, I'm a PlayStation guy. I play PlayStation. I've been praying for a PlayStation 5. People are like, Ain't that a waste of a prayer? He said, cast all your cares. This is a part of all of my cares. I'm not saying I'm going to get one, but at least I'm bringing it to him. Why? Because I know he cares for me. He's my father. Why wouldn't I ask him? I hope I get one. Y'all pray for that too. Y'all pray for that too. <laughs> and so he goes on in verse 5. He says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So don't just live in prayer, live in proximity. Live in proximity. Now this is a tough one. So let's just break this down real quick. He says live or walk or conduct yourselves in wisdom. Now, knowledge, you've, getting, you've gotten a whole lot of knowledge about Colossians over the last five weeks, but knowledge without application is still ignorance. You're just puffed up. Knowledge with application is wisdom. So take what you've learned over the last five weeks, six weeks including today, and actually go live among outsiders or toward outsiders with that, that wisdom. Now, look at this. For there to be outsiders, that means there has to be insiders. Now, I want to be very careful. I'm learning a lot of lingo, but I do know this. I do know that Mercy Road is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Last time I said sanctuary for saints. Museum for saints. But there's, a re there, there's something to this that we can't sugarcoat. Um, if, there's, if Paul says that there's outsiders, that means there's insiders. The ecclesia, or the church, is the gathered believers who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who are with God. This word without or walk, walk towards those or conduct your way with wisdom towards those who are without, without what? Without God, atheos, atheists, without God, those without God. Now, 
Wisdom tells you, if you know anything about being without God, if you just go back to the beginning of your testimony for some of you in this room, like me, when I was without God, I was cheating on my wife. When I was without God, I was a deadbeat father. When I was without God, I was addicted to porn. When I was without God, I was an alcoholic. That was without God, and I tried so hard to get myself together, and I couldn't get myself together no matter what I did. So when I see somebody without God, I don't see them as opposition. I don't see them as outsiders. I see them as opportunity. Because I know that if somebody didn't see me as an opportunity, I would still be without God, hopeless, in a world of no hope, no assurance, on my way to hell. What do you actually believe about that? Will you put yourself in proximity with people who don't look like you, who don't think like you, who don't talk like you, and, and walk in wisdom? Walk in wisdom among them because they're atheists. Some of us believe that everybody on this earth is God's child. That's not true. I know that hurts. I know that's shocking for some, but that's not the Bible. We are all God's creation. We are not all God's children. And the difference between God's creation and God's children is only that those who believe in Jesus Christ have been adopted into the family to be called child. I know that stings, but the sting is not to hurt you, it's to humble you so that you, you come to the place where then how do I become one of his, Jesus Christ. And so we make the most of every opportunity that's before us. We live in proximity to make the most of every single opportunity. Gone are the days where we let an election divide the church. Amen. I'm not trying to win arguments, I'm trying to win souls. Paul says, live in proximity with those who don't vote like you, who don't look like you, who don't think like you. Get in proximity and walk among them in wisdom of what you've learned. I don't know about you, but what I learned is that last week Josh said, let the peace of Jesus rule your hearts. Josh said, everything that I do, I do for the Lord. What happens when you actually believe that? When you actually live again, when you actually put all your preferences to the side, all your pride to the side, and say, I'm here for one purpose, the kingdom. He saved you to go after others. He saved you not to be safe, not to be sitting, but to serve. And so go get in proximity with others. He goes deeper on that. He goes deeper on that. He says, he says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. So let your, your speech always. Now, I love Greek. I love looking at like the original language, all right? And, and James, James, when I looked at the original language on this word always, always means always. <laughs> like forever, ever, forever, ever, right? <laughs> always means all the time. Let your speech always be with grace, as if it was seasoned with salt. So that doesn't mean you sugarcoat it or you get rid of truth. It doesn't mean you make this some super-duper friendly, oh, nobody goes to hell, hell is not real. That's not, that's not the gospel. There's no good, if there's no bad news, then there can't be good news, right? But it is like this, like, if, if you, anybody who's had a child and you're trying to feed, like, vegetables, like peas, right? Like, who likes peas? Like, like okay, sorry. <laughs> but you're, try, you're trying to feed peas uh, to, to, the, to a child, and the child's like, mm-mm, 
mm-mm, right? And, and so you don't take the peas out and put candy and like Sour Patch Kids in there, right? You keep the peas in there, but you find a grace or you find a way, you, you season it with salt by saying, here comes the airplane, right? And you do all this wiggle stuff and try to keep the peas in there. And then they're like, ah, and you stuff it in there, right? And, and so like in a similar way, we should be in proximity that we know the people around us enough to be able to find an angle, find a grace, a way to present the truth. We don't take the peas out and put Sour Patch Kids in and make it, make it what's not the gospel, what's not the truth. We keep the truth there. We don't exchange the truth for a lie, and we give them what Jesus told us to give them, but we find a graceful way to do it. And the reality is salt isn't just for seasoning, right? Salt heals. But when you put salt in a wound, what happens? It hurts. So sometimes when you make a statement like, hey, not everybody is God's child. Uh-oh, that hurt. Okay, but if you, if, you, if you accept it, if you receive it, if you just hear it, it's not meant to hurt you in a way that you don't recover from. It's meant to hurt you, to heal you. It humbles you. What do you mean we're not all God's children? Yeah, that's the Bible. Let's open it up together. I'll walk with you in that truth. Because here's the reality. I'm no better than you. Everybody in here was a sinner at one point in time. The only difference between a sinner and a saint is that a saint has surrendered his life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing that it's the blood of Jesus and the blood alone that satisfies the wrath of God. That's it. So I'm no better than the outsiders. And I don't see them as outsiders. I see them as opportunities. So you have to start asking yourself, what does your words taste like? What does your speech actually taste like? Is it bitter or is it better? Man, James, remember when we was at um, Starbucks? Yes. And we, me and James, we, like, he knew I was like thinking through this. I wanted to meet with somebody to kind of figure out what caramel was like. And so I meet him at Starbucks right over here. And we sitting down. And you would have thought we knew each other our whole lives. And we was loud. I was like, you used to dance? Man, I used to dance. You did the pop lock thing? Oh, man. And, we, and, and then we start talking about Jesus. We start talking about Christ. And everybody at Starbucks was just like, who are these crazy people over there? But as they were watching us, they were listening. And as they were listening, all they were hearing was testimonies of brokenness and how Jesus had saved us and how Jesus had brought us to our wives and how Jesus had picked us up and we have resurrected power inside of us and we got the can't help it to tell everybody in Starbucks about it. You, you get a chai tea, sis? Amen, Jesus, right? Like, that's, that's, that's how it went. And so, like, at some point, that's supposed to be you. It shouldn't just be the person on the stage preaching or singing. That's every single one of us. If the power of resurrection is dwelling inside of you, that means anywhere you go, the kingdom is near. Because the kingdom's in you. The kingdom's in you. We have to put to the side this whole all we can do is invite people to a temple to hear one person and instead start thinking, the kingdom is in me too. Just like that person preaching up there, that same Holy Spirit dwells in you. Forget getting them to the temple. Let me get to their table first and get to know them and get in proximity so that I can earn the access to bring them to something and say, trust me, the message you're going to hear, these words from this Bible, you can trust me because you know me first. You know me. We're in proximity. So you live in prayer, you live in proximity, and then verse 7, he said, well, let me just say this, you live in patterns. You live in prayer, you live in proximity, you live in patterns, and this is what I mean by that. Um, Ten years ago, before I was saved, I would tell, I would profess to my wife, I love her. Wife, Brittany, I love you, I love you, I love you. But my patterns showed that I didn't. 
I was saying one thing, but I was living a completely different thing over and over and over again to the point that you have to start asking yourself, how can you say you love me when your pattern says something completely different than what you're profession, pr- professing? So in the same way, we have to live in patterns. Our patterns are our proof of his presence. The way you live, once again, belief births a behavior. And so when you look at this part of the scripture here, Paul starts giving some, he gives us some example of patterns to live by. I'm going to jump around a little bit, but I just want to talk about some of the people in the scripture. He says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus, which I used to say Tychicus, but it's Tychicus. Now I just call him T-Bone, right? T-Bone. T-Bone. No, I'm just playing. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. Verse 9, and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. Verse 10, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark. Verse 11, and also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. But what happens is there's a, par- a pattern of partnership. We live in patterns, and right there you see a pattern of par- partnership. You see fellow brother, fellow slave, fellow worker. There's this partnership, which is amazing because this is what the world wants to do to you. Some, some of the people that Paul was partnering with were Jews, some were Gentiles. There's a difference there, right? Today, some of you here in this room are Republicans, some of you are Democrats. Some of you are mask on, some of you are mask off. Some of you are Black Lives Matter, some of you are All Lives Matter. Whatever it is, the world is doing this. The world is saying, hey, you, go to your corner with that label. You, go to that corner with the label. You, go to that corner. You go in that corner and you just fight and the devil's winning, but Jesus is standing in the middle and he says, come up out of your corners, partner in with me. And if you partner in with me, you will be partnered in with each other. Right? And so there's a pattern of partnership here. Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave, a runaway slave who, who honestly, if you read the book of Philemon, it's like one chapter, so go home and read it, please, all right? If you read the book of Philemon, he, he sent, uh, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, his slave owner that he ran away from. Now, that would have been punishable by death. But he tells him, receive him as a partner, as a brother. In fact, in this scripture, he's the only one that he doesn't call a fellow slave. He calls him a fellow brother for a reason because he's no longer that. He's he's no longer the label of the world. What happens when the world sees me, former adulterer, alcoholic, all those things I just told you, preaching to you in Carmel, Indiana, with all the stereotypes and stigmas that people think about white people and black people and all this. But when we're partnered in together, they walk in here and they're like, I don't understand. This, this confuses me. How can that man openly profess his brokenness and still be received by these people? And everybody's like, because we partnered in with Jesus together. Right. He died for that. We ain't holding that against him. We got our own dirt. This is what the kingdom looks like, and you start looking different. You start seeing what the word holy really means. It means set apart. It means different. You look different than the rest of the world. The outsiders don't want to come inside if the inside look like the outside. I want to come into something different. I want to be a part of something real, something different where I'm not putting on this Sunday facade for you. I want you to know who I am. I want to know who you are so that we can partner in together and and heal together and go heal together. They had a pattern of partnership. Oh, my time. Sorry. And then they, uh, (laughs) ah, 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 right. So so check this out. They, They also had a pattern of participation. It says, Epaphras, 
It might be Epaphras. It's one of the two. Give me grace. Who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That took time. That took time. Follow me. Verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings. And in verse 15. Greet the brethren who are, at, who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. So what you have is Epaphras. He struggled in prayer, laboring hour after hour in prayer for the church and, and uh, for the Colossian church. That took time. You have Luke, who was a beloved physician. Whatever you do for a living, you should be a beloved that. In other words, his talent was physician, but his identity was Christ. Whatever you do for a living, you should be that, a beloved that. Wherever you are, once again, the kingdom is in you. So when you are in your workplace, you should be known as the beloved whatever you do for a living, right? But then Nympha, her house, she gave it up to host a church. A house is a treasure. It's a material thing. She gave up her house for that. So time, talent, treasures, not only was there a diversity in people, there was a diversity in participation, meaning each and every one of you, you don't have to be up here preaching to change the kingdom. You can change the kingdom from where you are. Uh, Brian, at the beginning of this, Brian over here in the prayer room, I don't know if you've met him, but I met him, and we had church before church started. We was back there, woo, like amen, hallelujah. He prayed for me, and I think the energy I got in this third service is because of that prayer. So now he's partnered in with me. He's partnered in with Christ in the work that's being done. If you're receiving something today, somebody prayed for you to receive something. You see how that works? And if somebody online is receiving something, somebody prayed for you to receive that. And we're partnered in together, regardless of our differences. There's, there, there doesn't have to be uniformity to have unity. Diversity is beautiful. It's only dangerous when it won't die for the sake of the kingdom. So finally... Pattern of, uh, you had a pattern of partnership, a pattern of participation, but finally, a pattern of peace. In verse 18, Paul says, remember my chains. He's writing this from prison. And what happens is, regardless of the external persecution, the external prison, or the external pain that he was going through, it couldn't change his eternal peace. We need to live in that way so that people start asking us, what do you have that I don't have? Because we're going through the same stuff that the world is going through. Being a believer doesn't keep you from going through anything. In fact, you got an X on your back. You might be going through more. But when you respond to that with peace, the world asks, what's different about you? And your only answer is to glorify the one who died for you, Jesus. So this is what I want to do. Oh. This is my, I'm doing this thing called Mercy Moment. As you guys see, as I'll preach here, you'll see I love acronyms and alliteration, like P, 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 P. Well, I want to do a Mercy Moment when I preach. I just want to give a little bit of time um, for you to respond to this. And, and it's, it's going to be unique to you. Uh, I'm just going to ask three questions every time I preach. It'd be a little bit different, but it's the same thing. Mercy Moment is this. I want you to ask yourself, and, and be real, like, take this moment, please. Remove any of my antics and my animation. That's just my personality. Remove all of that and just think about what God has said to you. What, ask yourself, what has God actually said to you? Not Rashad. What has God said to you this morning? Or what has he been saying this week? I just want you to think about that first. And then the second question is this. What are you going to actually do about it? Dropping it, dropping it here, leaving it in here, this, this, it makes this just a holy huddle. And that's not what we're called to have. 
We're called to break the huddle and go out on mission. So what, in your prayer life, in your proximity, in your patterns, whatever God is saying to you right now, I want you to think about that, write it down or, or plant it, tattoo it on your heart, and then ask yourself, what are you going to do? If you're going to ignore it, talk to us. We want to walk with you. on why. I've been there. I've ignored what God was saying to me in the moment. But somebody walked with me so that I would stop ignoring and start repenting. But if you are wanting to obey, then here's the third question. Here's the third question. How can we at Mercy Road come alongside you to help you walk in obedience or to help you live again? Take a moment and think about that as we get prepared to sing these last songs. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for this letter from Paul to the Colossian church. Father, help us to live again. In fact, Father, if there's some who haven't even began that life with you and with your son as Lord and Savior, Father, help them to surrender in that way. May everybody under the sound of, under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or online, Father, may, may they hear all of you and none of me. May the Holy Spirit do the work of transforming hearts and renewing minds. And Father, may they, may they start to ask the questions of what do they actually believe about who you are? If you are God who was in the beginning and who is the beginning, if you are the one who is Lord of Lords and if every knee will bow, then Father, give us a burden to spend more time with you. And Father, if people who don't know your son, if people who haven't surrendered their lives are truly going to a place of eternal damnation, then give us a burden to be in proximity with them. And Father, if we really believe and confess Jesus as Lord, then give us a burden to be obedient in the pattern of our lives. We thank you for his pattern that we're allowed to follow. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.